I'm Chris Kergard of the Journal Star and PJStar.com. And I'm Demarcus Hamilton with 90.7 FM. <clears throat> and uh, welcome to our web series. It's called State of Peoria. 2021 is a critical year for Peoria's future. Residents will vote on a new mayor and on five district council members. And those six elected officials will have the opportunity to shape the city for years to come. This partnership between the Journal Star and 90.7 FM will address issues within the city and preview the primary and general elections for the mayoral and city council races here in Peoria this year. We'll have a total of seven episodes that we're going to air before the primary on February 23rd, talking to candidates and key figures in city government. Our goal is to give you the pertinent information about the candidates, allow them to address key issues for their campaigns, and help you make informed decisions when you cast a vote. After the primary, we'll continue through the general election on April 6th. Here for our first episode is Mayor Jim Artis. He has served as mayor for 16 years, making him the longest consecutive serving mayor, and he announced last year that he would not be running for a fifth term. We felt this would be a great place to start for this series, speaking to the man who has led the city for so long. This gives us the opportunity to look back and look forward. Welcome to the show, Mayor Jim Artis. How you doing? I'm doing great, Demarcus. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Chris. Thanks for being here. Yeah, they, uh, they definitely thank you for being Absolutely. here. Um, how does it feel? I mean, time is winding down and everything. Is, is, are, are, you, are you anxious? Are you? Uh, how does it feel? Uh, um, I'm not anxious yet. You know, I got to go uh, till first uh, first part of May, so uh, still got some work to do. Um, I think uh, it. You know, the the, uh, the anxiousness when you're uh, getting ready for a primary and a general election that usually takes over this time of year is is obviously uh, not there. Uh, that's a relief uh, not to have to uh, to deal with that. But uh, on the city side, uh, you know, we're still uh, still working on, on budget uh, issues and, and, and other things. So uh, it it hasn't really uh, quite hit that uh, there's only little about four and a half months to go. Certainly, certainly. Uh, so uh, we'll get started. Um, I think the question some may have already is, um, you know, you're, you're the you're the longest serving consecutive mayor, four terms, 16 years. Why not go for a fifth term? Yeah, that that's probably right up there with the most asked questions, uh, DeMarcus. I, uh, of course, they've asked that uh, before the last term as well and probably the term before that. Uh, and it, it really was. Uh, I think uh, I've said it to the media and to others uh, before each one of these election cycles come up. I, I always have uh, uh, several long uh, in-depth conversations with my family, especially my wife. And we just talk about it. I mean, it's a it's not just uh, the, the time and obligations that that I have to put in. It's also a, uh, uh, you know, things that I can't. Uh, do with the family. Sorry about the phone. Um, so we have a we have a pretty long conversation about that and and whether or not uh, we we uh, want to continue to do it. Mimi's always been uh, very supportive of of me uh, running again, which she was this time. Uh, but the decision really came up to be, uh, um, you know, four more years. Uh, we're both in our uh, just turned sixty one. We have grandchildren now uh, and. Uh, is, when is it time? Uh, when is a good time uh, to go? And uh, we, we talked about it more. We, we prayed on it a lot. 
and just made a decision. Uh, we're healthy. We have uh, we have kids and grandkids now, and uh, you know, let's let's uh, let somebody else take a take a stab at it. Understood. Understood. And uh, looking back, uh, the twenty seven race uh, very contentious. Did the margin of the last election with Corey Thomas have anything to do with your decision? Uh, no, uh, really, it didn't. I mean, um, there was, um, I think it was a little over a thousand uh, votes separated us. Uh, but, you know, when I won uh, the mayor's race the first time by about 10 points, uh, there was a lot more people voted. Uh, the percentage wasn't a whole lot different uh, in in the last race. It just uh, a lot less people voted. So uh, it was still a thousand uh, over a thousand votes when you're talking you're not, it's not cumulative voting where you know you're talking uh, up to five votes a person it's one person one vote uh, a thousand votes in a municipal election is is a pretty good margin so um you know when you look at the low number of of people that participated in the contest um i, I would have thought it would have been higher but it's uh it, that had not, absolutely nothing to do with the decision not to run again this time Okay. Jim, I, I want to jump right in here and, and ask you uh, to, to sort of frame a little bit uh, with regard to the, the responsibility on, on running the city. The relationship between the mayor and the city manager and the council is probably critical to, to being able to get anything done in the city. You've served in office with, with multiple managers and multiple council members over the last 22 years. Talk about how that relationship between those three groups needs to work, not only for the day-to-day -day business of the city, but for long-term plans to be handled efficiently. You know, uh, Chris, you've hit like right at the foundational issue of, of the mayor's position and the role of the mayor, the role of the council, the role of the city manager, and how those, how those mesh uh, really has a lot to say about the the success or uh, or lack thereof of, of governing the city. Uh, so, from a almost a uh, rudimentary uh, standpoint, we have a uh, a council manager form of government. So, uh, the council, including the mayor, hire a city manager. He's the the one and only direct report to the city council. The manager runs the day-to-day -day operations of the city. He oversees all the department heads, uh, you know, gives direction, uh, you know, with input from the council on, on policy, but the actual day-to-day -day operations comes from the city manager. Uh, and the importance of that, that policy direction from, from the mayor and council it is very important. I mean, the, the city manager has to hear consensus when it comes to policy direction. Uh, he, he can't be getting 11 different people uh, giving him direction on how to run the city. So it's really important that the, that the mayor and council, uh, you're not always going to get 11 people uh, in tune with the same thing, but there's always a clear majority giving the city manager direction on, on what has to happen and, and how they expect him to operate the city. So that when you get into the, the relationship part of it, it's 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 all about communication. And, you know, the, the mayor has to communicate with the council and vice versa. The, the entire group has to uh, express consensus to the city manager. So uh, so he's following through on the directives that 
that the city council wants to see happen. I think one of the important things that um, uh, a lot of people may may overlook or may not think about just because we've been in a in a, such a fortunate situation that we've had our current city manager for uh, over nine years, I believe now. And it's that <laughs> Patrick Urick is one of the most outstanding city managers I've ever worked with that I've ever seen, uh, known of in, in other cities and other city councils and their managers. And, uh, you know, we were very fortunate to have him come over here from the county side where he'd already been uh, working on, on the county for, for 10 years. So he, he knew the players, he knew the politics, he knew the issues. There really wasn't a lot of getting up to speed other than those relationships with the council. But that ability uh, for the mayor to uh, have conversations with the council, uh, you know, not uh, live on Tuesday nights when we're when we're mic'd up and, and on TV and radio, but you know, a lot of uh, conversations during the week and discussing issues and just the the conversations that need to happen uh, before the meetings, just to try to find out where everybody is, and then being able to have those conversations. Uh, with the city manager are so important. I think I really uh, sometimes think about, you know, so I served on the city council for six years uh, before I ran for mayor. I, I served under uh, Bud Grease uh, for two years and I served under uh, Dave Ransberg for four years. And the uh, the amount of, of knowledge and process and things that you learn during that time are just, are just invaluable. Um, I really, I really don't know how uh, a person would step into the mayor's seat uh, with with no experience in the city council, uh, little to no ex experience or uh, relationships with other council members and city manager. Uh, it's 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 really important. So I'm not sure if I if I got in deep enough or, or went too broad, Chris, to what your question was, but I think that the, the importance of the, the relationships, the communications with the council members, the ability to relay that to the city manager is critical. That almost sounds a little bit too, like you're, you're kind of handicapping the field a little bit to going into the, the election or, or almost saying that, that some people might have a, a little more difficulty based on your experience. Well, I, I think if you if, if you took my comments out of the picture and just tried to, you know, just tried to uh, put a person into a position like that with or, you know, any other uh, situation where where you were uh, the, the leader of a of a board uh, that you had no experience in and you didn't you didn't know any of the other people, I would I would think that, you know, it, it's not handicapped because I say it's handicapped. It's handicapped just because of uh, of what they're potentially um, walking into. Okay, uh, I, I do want to ask you a little bit too, uh, and then hand it over to to Demarcus for for the next couple of questions. Uh, I, whether or not there are any other qualifications beyond that that you really think that a, a successor in the office absolutely needs to have based on your experience? Yeah, I, I think a, a strong working knowledge of, uh, if possible, of the city budget and the different components of, of the city budget, but just if not, at least a, a strong understanding of, 
of how you know municipal budget budgeting works, uh, you know how the how the process works and uh, how you how you go through the process of establishing that budget and working with the different departments into that budget. I think that's uh, the the budget uh, budget comprehension and uh, having the ability to to work with the other council members and the manager and his team to pass a budget every year is probably without a doubt the most important thing we do. The constituent service and all that. Uh, all those other uh, parts of of serving on the city council all happen, but without a without a budget uh, providing that framework to to run the city, uh, none of it happens. So I think a, a good working knowledge of of uh, budgeting, uh, you know, a, a business understanding of of uh, you know what it takes to uh, meet a payroll, if you will, because we have to do that. Uh, it takes six or seven million dollars a month to operate the, the city of Peoria. And so having a good uh, under, business understanding of that and uh, and also uh, just because of, of the nature of all of the elected positions, I think it's important to have uh, a good a good network and a good uh, good communication within the community, both at the neighborhood level uh, as well as as the business community who are very important to be uh, engaged in in all of these processes. Uh I hate to belabor the topic and beat a dead horse, but there's a lot of seeming uh, interchangeability with the title of mayor and city manager. Uh, people sometimes confuse the duties. Um, what would you say is the biggest misconception about the mayoral position with the governmental construct that Peoria has? Well, I think it's like uh, we started the, this part of the conversation with DeMarcus is that uh, the, the city manager runs the day-to-day -day operations of the city. Uh, and I would say if there's if there's one uh, thing that the majority of people in the, in the city uh, would say, if they ask you who, who runs the city of Peoria, they'd probably say the mayor. And uh, and, and so um, it clearly uh, it's the it's the city manager's job to run day to day operations of the city uh, with with policy direction from the mayor and council. Some uh, some would say in times past that um, you weren't as visible as some would like you, uh, to see you. And and, and you're kind of elaborating right now that the city manager is essentially in charge. But what would you say to people that suggest that you gave the city manager too much power, too much leeway? Well, I didn't I didn't uh, I didn't give the city manager the power. That's that's how the you know, that's how the city operates. That's uh, that's the form of government that the city has. And uh that's you know that's his job so uh you know people that that think he has uh too much power probably just need to better understand the form of government that we operate under and so looking back do you feel that you may have taken the back seat in uh different scenarios where you wish you might have been uh as far as from a city standpoint and a citizen standpoint people would like to see you a little bit more out front or coming through with uh, a more uh, with a uh, with a more detailed vision for the city. Um, would you say there are times where uh, you kind of wish you were more upfront? I'd, I'd probably ask for a little bit more specifics, uh, DeMarcus, because, you know, the city council establishes uh, they, they establishes our goals. We, you know, establish a vision for where we want to see the community in the out years and and we provide direction for the city uh, manager to accomplish that. Uh, 
and and those those things are are always done. They're always out there, and it's it's not the mayor's vision. It's it's the council's vision. So, um, you know, we uh, we provide that policy direction for the city manager to to accomplish those goals. And um, you know, again, maybe if I had a little bit more of a specific thing that you thought. Uh, I or the council to go back seat on, I'd be glad to try to answer the, the question more clearly. Well, and so, I mean, it comes down to it and, and people have been, you know, Pure has been on the uh, on the decline for several years now. And the narrative coming from several news outlets just reminds us the, the condition that the seat is in. And it could be on uh, on the uh, the fact that some people may not understand how city government works. But I think you would have a lot of people or a good amount of people that suggest that, you know, in certain times with uh, vision and just uh, bring the city out of the rut that it's in, it's like, where's Jim artist? Where's Jim artist? But then it could be, would, would you say that goes back to people not understanding how city government works with regard to the council and the relationship with the city manager, where sometimes people aren't looking at neither one of those as much as they're looking at the mayor? Well, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, you're, you're, when you sit in this position, you always, you know, you take the, the accolades along with the, the, you know, the folks that, that want to, um, criticize and, and that's okay. That's, that's part of, uh, that's part of the whole, the whole process. I think, uh, you know, it, a lot of times people need to, uh, maybe take a little bit of a step back and understand the dynamics of, of what's happened to, uh, to Peoria and a lot of other, almost every other community across the state. I'll say every other community across the state, uh, driven by the, uh, you know, the decisions that have made, been made in Springfield. And I, I, I'm not going to sit on the show and, and blame everything on Springfield, but uh, clearly the mismanagement of, of things in Springfield, not, not just recently, over decades, uh, have, have really had a huge impact on Peoria, on, on Bloomington Normal, on Decatur, on you name it. Uh, it. And it's made it very difficult for us to do business and to attract a new business and the things that you need to do to be a thriving community. Uh, I, tell, I tell people all the time, and I, and I truly believe this, if you picked Peoria up, if you had the ability to pick Peoria up and put it in any of our surrounding states, you know, put it in Wisconsin, Iowa, Missouri, uh, you know, Kentucky, Indiana, we would be rocking uh, just the size of our community and the amenities that we have and the opportunities that we have for growth, which, you know, and by and large now are being driven by innovation and, and, and especially the medical community. But the, the difficulties that we face because Springfield has made it so hard to attract new business here. And with uh, a lot of the weight that Springfield has encumbered us with through unfunded mandates, mostly pensions, uh, it, it's, made it, it's made it really difficult for communities like Peoria to work. And so, uh, you know, I, I, will, I will take uh, the criticism that, uh, you know, Peoria has uh, lost population as as his has every uh, community in the state of every community decent size. Uh, and um, I would also say that Peoria has, uh, through a lot of positioning and a lot of hard work uh, within the community, also positioned itself to uh, to be stronger and to come out of this the economic situation we're in 
uh, a lot better than than uh, many communities our size and larger. I, we're we're definitely going to get back to some of those economic development challenges and some of the successes that we've had, especially on the medical side of things in a little while. But I, I want to pivot for a couple of seconds here and and talk about South Peoria, uh, which has been a, a particular area of concern for the city. And, and we see some of the challenges that are being experienced there going into other parts of the city too. Four years ago when you were running, we talked about about the challenges there. And you mentioned at the time that, that the city had put close to 25% of its resources into South Peoria over the last number of years going into 2017 as part of that effort to try to help lift many of the residents in, in the area there out of poverty. Now, this is kind of a three-part question, so you know, tackle it piece by piece if, if you like, but uh, I, I'm not sure that a large number of residents there would, would necessarily say that from the beginning of that seven or eight years ago all the way till now, they've seen a lot of substantial difference. So talk about what some of those resources and efforts are that the city has been putting into South Peoria over that time, what you think some of those successes that we've been able to see over that time are, and what things haven't worked that we either need to rethink or try differently going forward. Okay. Well, uh, we we have uh, put huge financial resources uh, into uh, the South Side. Um, a lot of those things uh, in the in the way of infrastructure aren't as as noticeable to people as visual uh, what I'd call visual blight. There's still you know a lot of neighborhoods that that have significant uh, blight. Uh, we have been. Uh, constrained by uh, funding sources to uh, to do some of the uh, demolitions that we need to do, uh, and that continues to be a challenge for us to come up with the, the financial resources to do that. But uh, from a planning perspective, you know we've we've uh, we've got uh, a new corridor uh, along MacArthur uh, that's going to that's going to see uh, significant investment in in new growth, both residentially and commercially. Uh, we're putting uh, a lot of money into the, uh, finally, into the um, reconstruction of Western Avenue, uh, which, which is in desperate need of, of, of upkeep. Uh, we've also uh, allocated uh, resources for the interior of some of the neighborhoods when it comes to, uh, to sidewalks and so on. You know, sometimes uh, people forget that the downtown and warehouse district is part of the first district. And so uh, a lot of the resources over the years that have been spent on infrastructure and attracting new business into that area uh, has also benefited, um, you know, the south side as well. Uh, I, I think that probably the, the area that we've been uh, most challenged in is our ability to uh, attract uh, more business uh, to the south side, uh, you know, commercial business and as, as well as you know, potentially some some manufacturing or something that actually creates uh, a head of household wages, uh, so people that live on the south side can have good jobs to go to near their homes. Uh, there's there's some reasons for that. We mentioned some of them in terms of the uh, the state um, not making it real conducive to uh, allowing us to attract new employers into the city. I think you know I think that's been a big uh, a big challenge. 
but on the other hand, uh, it's it's just extremely challenging when you're in an environment uh, that the the economy is struggling a little bit, uh, that people are are leaving the state uh, for better jobs, and in, in a lot of a lot of times, the the areas that are hurt the most are areas like <clears throat> our South Side, both because. Uh, some of the people that live down there are are leaving to take different jobs and the ones maybe that can't leave are stuck there. So the kind of the blight continues. So, that, you know, those are the, the challenges, uh, some of the challenges that we've had. Um, I do think that we've uh, the money that we've invested uh, in the planning processes and uh, getting the infrastructure set up will will set us up for for growth once the economy uh, gets going again. And uh, I really think that the south side will continue to be attractive, as will the near north side, uh, a lot of, uh, for a lot of reasons, because of the the jobs that are going to be in that area of the city, some of them with the medical community and and uh, in other places. So we're, we're hoping that uh, it hasn't come as quickly as we wanted, but we're hoping that the investments that we've made uh, in that area of our city uh, will pay off down the road. I want to ask you, too, about uh, some of the money that the city spent. I, I want to say it was about four years ago. It put in about $800,000 into bringing in the National Resource Network to do a study and, and look at ways to, to address some of those pervasive problems, whether it's on education, whether it's on transportation, on access to, to jobs, and you know, I, I sat in through a couple of those sessions, and it, it felt to me like one of the key takeaways there was that between the city and the not-for-profits, their big recommendation was that there needed to be some sort of lead group coordinating what the response was and, and getting all the agencies to, to sing from the same hymnal on, on focusing on one or two areas and and fight those through to the point that that there was real meaningful improvement in those and then address other areas and it it doesn't really feel like that ever truly got off the ground so what what hampered us there and how do we fix that going forward yeah i think that uh that was a um a, a very good effort that we had a lot of uh input from the community on um, I think uh, and it's uh, it's not an excuse. It's reality, Chris, is that uh, so many times we get in these situations where we're really focused on a specific area and it's it's all hands on deck. And we we kind of come in and we discuss it and we get a lot of participation from a lot of the different uh, um, groups that that are, um, you know, vested in, in good conclusions to these things. And people take pieces of it and and they and they go and, and this gets started. And then at least from the city standpoint, we're off to the next fire for lack of a better word, you know, and it's, and, and, you know, that's one of the biggest issues that, uh, that we have at, at the city is, you know, when we, when we almost just go from, you know, from one issue to the, to the next issue, and we're, we're consistently addressing these, these challenges, most of them financial um, it, it gets it gets really hard to just stay focused in one of those areas. So, I, you know, maybe to answer your question, maybe, uh, you know, going forward, if we uh, not just have those uh, really good community discussions like we did, but maybe we do a better job at 
uh, assigning responsibilities, you know, what are the takeaways, who's going to be responsible for them, and then actually, you know, following up and, and um, you know, establishing, um, you know, better accountability on those things uh, would probably lead to, uh, you know, better success. Make, make sure there's a deliverable at, at the end that becomes well, most likely there's a lot of deliverables when you're talking about as many issues as that were discussed when when the national when the network was here, uh, there there were there were a lot of different areas, and so uh, I, I think that um, again going back and hindsight being what it is, uh, just having more uh, more accountability, more uh, you know who's responsible for what within what time frame we'll report back to the group. And when you're doing that, you know, every, when everybody's being held accountable, you probably have a much likelier uh, chance for success. I want to dial back real quick. You mentioned uh, bringing uh, manufacturing jobs or just the, the, the ground isn't fertile given that the, uh, you know, that Peoria is in the state of Illinois when it comes to jobs. Uh, but in a Maryland debate back in 2017, you said that Peoria doesn't necessarily need any new businesses to relocate to Peoria. We just need to build up the small businesses that we have currently, and that should suffice. Do you still feel that's the case? Well, I, I certainly think that the first priority we have to have is on the businesses that are here, that have made the investment here, and that want to stay here. We have to make sure that we're taking care of those folks if they need to grow, uh, if if they need uh, assistance, not necessarily money. Maybe they just, you know, they need assistance from the city and in getting people that are trained. You know, maybe they need welders. Maybe you know, maybe they need. Uh, you know, people that understand uh, uh, computer-aided design and so on. Uh, you know, what can we do to provide uh, that to the existing businesses that are already here? Uh, and I'd say, in, in many cases, uh, you always need to grow. I mean, if you don't grow, you're gonna you're gonna die on the vine. But I I do think that we need to give uh, a strong priority to the to the people that have been here and that are trying to survive and and you know make a living and grow. Uh, with that said, you know, we, we definitely have to uh, put a lot of emphasis on trying to attract new employers here. Uh, the cold, hard reality is, is that everybody would like another Caterpillar or, or Komatsu or uh, G&D trucking or, you know, any, any of those uh, businesses that employ a lot of people at, at decent wages. They'd like to see that type of company attracted here and our state does not make it conducive to do that. So what we're, what we really need to do, which we're doing, but we need to continue to do is look at, you know, how many, how many wins can we get out there by, you know, attracting somebody that's going to start a company with 10 or 15 people. Uh, and you get, if you get 10 companies to, to come in and they all have 10 or 15 people, then you're, you know, you're, you're talking 150 people right there and, and grow it from that. So DeMarcus, I, to answer your question, I do still think that we have to pay strong attention to the employers that are already here, already made the investment here and want to, uh, you know, be healthy and survive and, and, and grow uh, at the at the same time that we're that we have an eye out looking for new businesses and and making Peoria a community that people want to uh, start new businesses in. Did that perspective change given that Caterpillar has now gone or what kind of changed your uh, your idea as far as not needing any businesses to relocate here versus building up what we have now? Because, I mean, obviously we want to build what we have here, but did, did Caterpillar leaving kind of kind of kind of change your mind as far as what we need to relocate to Peoria? So, first of all, I didn't say we don't need new businesses here. OK, so just 
I didn't say that. And, and well, you, you did say that we don't necessarily need uh, bigger businesses to relocate to Peoria. I, I, it was at a debate, actually, and I asked the question and he responded, and I was kind of perplexed myself, but I didn't have the microphone. Well, it, maybe it was uh, misunderstood because my, my view has not changed, uh, not just 2017, but to uh, 1999 when I first got on the council. Uh, you know, we, we, have to, we have to pay strong attention to our existing employers uh, first. Uh, and, and at the same time, we need to we need to attract new business and grow here uh, to the caterpillar part of the question. Uh, you know, that was uh, obviously a, a, a tough blow to Peoria. But, you know, what we have to keep in mind is that, you know, the the um, upper uh, management team that, that went up to uh, the Chicago area uh, in Deerbrook was uh, 150, 200 people. Uh, and, you know, Peoria still has the largest number of Caterpillar people uh, working in our community that Caterpillar has anywhere in the world. Uh, so, uh, you know, we would have loved to have seen them stay here. I'm, I'm still disappointed that, that they left. Uh, but, you know, in the big in the big scheme of things, the um, I don't know what the exact number, if it's 10 or 12,000 people in the in the area that still are employed by Caterpillar, uh, that's, that would certainly be preferred to losing, you know, 150, 150 people. So I, I think that if there's an upside to, to Caterpillar leaving, it's our, our community has, you know, refocused, uh, not that we were uh, totally reliant on Caterpillar at that time, because Caterpillar slowly been uh, moving, especially a lot of the manufacturing jobs out of the state. Uh, for years, uh, it's 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 done a good job of helping us focus on other areas that uh, may have more stability uh, during times that the uh, economy is down, uh, and uh, just diversify our workforce more. So I think I think uh, in the end we we wish they were still here. Uh, actually, we wish they'd come back. But uh, in, in the end, uh, we still have a lot of uh, good, hardworking Caterpillar people in our community that contribute a lot of money instability to our community. And we're also uh, focused on, on other areas that can um, weather the storm uh, in the economy, uh, perhaps better than that, that uh, focus on, on uh, heavy uh, global mining equipment. I want to stay on Caterpillar real quick, and I got like a three-part question, so bear with me and stay with me. Um, a, looking back, is there something that the city of Peoria or the council, whatever, could have done to keep Caterpillar here? Secondly, is there a lesson or a key takeaway that the city should have with Cat leaving Peoria? And thirdly, um, do you think Peoria over-invested in the promise of Caterpillar for the future? So... Uh... I don't I don't know that there's anything that uh, the, the city, the city council uh, or anyone could have done to uh, to keep Caterpillar here. Uh, it was a lot of it was a, a timing issue with new leadership. Um, you know, we we had many years of of uh, chair uh, CEOs who were very loyal to uh you know, the Caterpillar history in Peoria, uh, as witnessed by the fact that, you know, there was uh, 
many millions of dollars spent on studies and the decision was made to uh, spend uh, close to a billion dollars with a B uh, to build their new world headquarters here. And, uh, and that, you know, that was outstanding. Everybody's really excited, but you know, when a change of leadership happens and uh, you, you get different input from your board of directors that things like that happen. So I don't, I don't think that that was anything that had to do with, uh, the city of Peoria, per se. Um, I think it was a leadership decision and a board decision that uh, they thought that the Caterpillar World Headquarters should be in a different geographic location. Uh, so that's that's my opinion. Uh, as far as learning anything from that, um, you know, we we had uh, and, and continue to have good relationships with the sea level uh, folks at Caterpillar. Uh, I I I don't know that those relationships could have been better to the point that we could have uh, had a discussion about changing that decision uh, to move their world headquarters. Uh, I, I don't know that, you know, Caterpillar's world headquarters is going to be for, in Deerfield for the next, you know, five years or 50 years. Um, you know, you know, people that are in a position to speculate that on that would probably say not. Uh, that it probably won't be in the state of Illinois at all, but who knows on that one. Uh, in terms of the, uh, the third question, Marcus, I think was something about uh, rethinking the city's uh, investment or in Caterpillar. I'm, I'm not exactly, maybe ref refresh me on what the third question was there. Oh, no, you're good. Uh, the question was, did Peoria, some would say Peoria overinvested in the promise of Caterpillar for the future given that, you know, well, Caterpillar's here at employees, like you mentioned, 10 to 12,000 people, we're good to go. Them, OSF, we're good to go. And we don't really need to think about anything else regarding the future if, as long as Caterpillar stays here. So do you think we overinvested in the in the thought of Caterpillar for the future? Uh, no, I don't. I, I think that, uh, you know, I don't think it was a situation where we ever overinvested. I also don't think it was uh, a situation where, uh, where we... Uh, took that relationship for granted. I, I really, I really think at the end of the day that, you know, from this discussions I've had and, and things that I've read in, in the media on that decision that the board made was uh, Caterpillar, the, the Caterpillar board wanted to be uh, in a different area that they felt would serve their company better. Uh, and that, and that wasn't Peoria. And I don't know that there was anything that we did or didn't do that could have changed that, uh, that desire for the board to move. Going back a couple of questions to the, the discussion about growing small business here, I, I was interested in in your answer there about maybe finding other ways that, that the city or the region can help businesses, uh, help helping them have have more more qualified employee applicants to to fill the needs that they have and and issues like that because it, it almost feels as though maybe there's been a, a change in in the approach that city hall might take or, or might have taken in in some of our our economic development effort recently and and you know I, I look to some of the approaches in in the past whether it's on on the Cub Foods development and the creation of the TIF there, or or even on on the the city investment with hard dollars in in the Pier Marquette and and trying to save the existence of that hotel downtown compared to 
the notion of, of trying to, to help grow more qualified workers here or with OSF and, and moving its headquarters downtown and, and full disclosure, you're an OSF Foundation employee now for our, our listeners and viewers. Uh, but, you know, with, with bringing OSF downtown, there, there weren't economic incentives there. There, there were discussions on, on the use of city-owned parking facilities and things like that for, for employees rather than, than either either cash on the barrel head or, or creating a, a favorable tax incentive. Have, have we learned how to do economic development in a different way to try to try to do what we want? You know, uh, I think everybody's, uh, Chris, got a probably a little bit different take on on economic development and, and what what's appropriate, what's not appropriate, what's the best way to spend uh, limited resources. Uh, I think over the years, uh, you know, TIF is that, you know, that dirty three letter word uh, that uh, a lot of people don't have a, a great comprehension of. Uh, and there's there there could be a pretty decent debate on the different uh, projects that utilize uh, TIF on whether or not they would equate to success or not. Um, I do think that, you know, um, we have to continue to look at different ways to do things. Um, economic, you know, development isn't the same as, as it was uh, 10 or 20 years ago. Um, you know, but you have to also keep in mind that we just, we're, we're limited by the number of tools in our toolbox. Uh, there's, there aren't that many, that many tools uh, that we can use to our advantage. And so, um, you know, if, if we can't use TIF and we can't use Enterprise Zone, uh, which is similar to TIF, but it's, it's another, you know, potential incentive, uh, you know, what are we going to do to uh, incentivize uh, new jobs uh, into the community? And again, when, when you're handicapped at a state level uh, by, uh, a reluctance on, on people that want to come in and, and uh, work in the in the environment that the state has uh, provided, uh, if you want to use provided as the right word, uh, it, it's really tough. So we are looking at, at different things outside of TIF. I think that uh, a lot of the things uh, that are that are happening right now to uh, attract and, and, and retrain folks that have lost their job, I mean, we're so fortunate to have ICC here and the things that, that ICC is doing uh, both in our community and, and also in conjunction with, with other community college to colleges to uh, train and, and up-train people that are already uh, working uh, in different areas of the community. I think that that's very positive. Uh, a lot of things that are happening uh, uh, with, with innovation and, and distillery labs and, and the things that are encouraging uh, entrepreneurs and, and new business development. And I think all the all these types of things that we're trying to do to uh, to make the atmosphere in Peoria more conducive to those types of businesses uh, are some of the things that we uh, can try to do with the limited financial resources that we have to accomplish it. Okay, all right. I I'm gonna switch track just uh, just a little bit onto uh, to something else that uh, I, I know really gets a lot of people in the community 
up in arms. Uh, and, and that's some of the new fees that, that we've had to impose over the years, uh, both to pay for the stormwater fix, which uh, was, what, 12 years in the negotiation before before a deal was finally arrived at earlier, or late last year, to, to be able to move forward with it, but to pay for the stormwater fix and to pay for public pension fees that have been a continuing issue with with the state of Illinois, and, you know, and citizens honestly, we look at those and and you know we can call them fees, but they're they're taxes. They're they're taxes on us as citizens that we have to pay. Just called something different. How realistic is it to expect that one of those, at least in the the public safety fee, might be able to be changed over the years, or or given the the downstate pension consolidation might even be able to be lifted sooner. So the, uh, the pension, the pension fee, uh, was sunsetted. There was three years. So this, uh, 21 is the last year for that. So it's either going to have to be, uh, modified or, uh, you know, the council is going to have to look at replacing, uh, close to $2 million, uh, this year. Uh, you know, Chris, both of those situations, the, the CSO combined sewer overflow uh, and the, the pension situation are both unfunded mandates. So, you know, for your listeners that uh, think that either one of those were, were problems that we brought on ourselves, those were the CSO was, was uh, brought through the federal government, through the Illinois IPEA uh, to, uh, to Peoria to remediate that situation uh, with absolutely no uh, resources to help us uh, pay for that. Uh, and the pensions were, you know, a pension obligation that was put upon the uh, the city of Peoria and every other city in the state for that matter uh, to pay these pensions without any type of, of revenue to compensate for it. So, you know, we're, you know, we didn't, we didn't put ourselves in a, in a position on either one of those where, uh, you know, we we made the choice to undertake this. It was the federal government in one situation and the state government in another situation that that put a huge burden on the taxpayers of, of the city of Peoria. No, no, no I, I've got to interrupt you for just a second there, though, because it, it is certainly the, the US EPA and, and IEPA that, that have created the, the situation where they said, you've got to get this fixed or we're going to fine you. But it, it's also been... 40 years that, that we've known that this situation has got to be dealt with. And, and certainly you, know, you, you can't be held responsible for, for what, what councils did in, in the late 1970s, but it, it strikes me there. And I know that, that city police and fire unions would say, you know, the city did not fund the pensions to the level that they could have earlier on, resulting in the higher expectation now that the state has said, you've got to have them funded all the way up to, to 90%. So some of that responsibility goes to city of Peoria government over decades worth of time, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I, I would say that your, your statement is not... Um, it's not inaccurate. I mean, uh, you know, it, the city hasn't been sitting on its hands for 40 years on the CSO situation. It's been ongoing negotiations uh, back and forth. I mean, as as early as uh, four years ago, uh, the the offer that the EPA put in front of us was going to cost the city of Peoria 
a half a billion dollars, five hundred million dollars uh, to to do this. We we don't have the we don't have the resources. This community can't afford to do that, and USCP doesn't care. Uh, they have they have a model and they juggle numbers and they and they thought uh, for however their math worked that we could, uh, and it really wasn't. You know, they they engineered a solution to fit five hundred million dollars, uh, not to fix the problem. You know, we ended up in the in the end of this thing coming up with a uh, an engineered solution that provided a hundred percent green solution that's only going to end up costing the city uh, a quarter of 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 what that uh, original price tag was. So. And it's not just the last four years. It's been like that forever. And, and keep in mind, every four years, uh, an admin, a, a, a federal administration changes, new people come in, you know, people come in with a different idea of how to solve that. So uh, everybody would have loved to have this thing solved uh, 30 years ago. We'd have it paid off by now. Uh, but, it, you know, it's, it's, it's part of the, the downside to working with uh, the bureaucracies that make up uh, the state and federal government is you just can't get anything done uh, quickly. And you also can't get anything done uh, economically, uh, which which I think we did accomplish that. And, and uh, we did it very well. It's going to create jobs. Uh, it's going to beautify the, the city because a lot of these areas that that we're going to be uh, doing the work for the CSO are going to beautify those neighborhoods. So, you know, it's coming in at a lower price tag. It's creating jobs and it's going to beautify the community. Uh, you know, the, uh, you know, the pension issue is uh, we, we've, we've always, uh, the city has always paid uh, what the actuaries said that we needed to pay to cover those years. Uh, a lot of the situations that you get in uh, just because uh, the, the pension investments are all driven by the stock market. Uh, it's, it's the same reason that when you go through those cycles, that your savings uh in the in that you have tied into the stock market when you lose money that and that's what happened on a mega scale uh you know every few years uh with the pensions so that's that's been a big part of the reason uh too i mean there's there's plenty of uh if you want to use the word blame there's plenty of blame for for why the pensions aren't a hundred percent funded right now <clears throat> excuse me but at the end of the day uh, a lot of the, the problem was is this this unbelievable burden uh, that was placed on on communities by the state with with no way uh, to uh, get any help from the state to uh, to fund those pensions. Uh, if you're just now tuning in, uh, this is State of Peoria uh, with uh, Mayor Jim Artis, myself, and Chris Kiergaard. Uh This is a, a, a seven-part series, maybe, may even be longer, who knows? Uh, so we appreciate you tuning in. Also, keep in mind, if you have any questions, please drop them in the comments because we're going to pick those up here shortly. Um, now, of course, there's plenty of blame to go around for the state um, in Springfield. Uh, in any city, any county you can go, I'm sure they have a complaint. But how much uh, blame can we throw in the state here in Peoria given that we're sitting on the same highway as East Peoria, Bloomington and Champaign, and they don't seem to be doing as bad. Well, um, I guess you'd, I, I'd need a little bit more information in terms of not doing quite as bad. Marcus, can you be more specific or is it just that's how it feels? Well, A, that is how it feels, but B, they're not making these lists. Um, 
um, namely the 24-7 list. And I want to bring that up with you uh, in, in here uh, as a follow up. Um, but then just in general, when we're talking about uh, population decline, we, we got on the list for uh, one of the uh, fastest uh, declining midsize cities in America. So when we talk about these type of news articles that comes out, uh, we seem to be the only city sitting on I-74 that kind of gets hit with this. And then, of course, when you just look at East PR in the last couple of years, uh, again, it just it just seems to be different. Yeah, I, I think a lot of it probably is is uh, a perception, uh, Marcus. I think if if you look at if you look at the numbers, uh, you're seeing you know East Peoria and other uh, other similar sized communities in Peoria that are uh, struggling uh, economically. They're struggling with uh, with job growth. I mean, the there's been uh, and, and you know East Peoria has done some really nice things uh, over there too. I mean, their their downtown areas. Uh, over the last 10 or 15 years has improved uh, considerably. Uh, but East Peoria is also, uh, um, they're, they're constricted on their ability to grow just because they really don't have uh, ways to, to grow and, and annex more uh, of the surrounding area into the community. So you're not, you don't see uh, population in growth in East Peoria. Uh, Bloomington Normal is another fantastic uh, community. I know uh, both mayors and and a lot of the council members and city managers, uh, you know, the universities over there are are fantastic universities. But you know, they've they've experienced significant uh, downsizing in in some of their larger employers who have have left the state. Um, you know, similar to Caterpillar, uh, and, and it's hard hard to replace those. Uh, but you know, the the university jobs are are typically. Uh, fairly consistent, but you know we're going to see a big change in in uh, communities that uh, support uh, brick and mortar uh, colleges and universities, uh, just because of of what we've seen happen uh, to that space uh, because of COVID. Uh, and you see the number of students that are attending classes virtually, and if they're attending classes virtually, should they be paying the same tuition that they did? Uh, so I mean, you know, Bradley's gonna gonna feel some of that too. So the examples that you use of of, of um, cities along the I seventy four corridor, I'd say that we're uh, we're we're all pretty much in the in the same boat when you when you measure different areas of of our communities. I think we're both seeing uh, and experiencing uh, similar issues. So would you suggest that Peoria is not growing at a slower rate than Bloomington and Champaign? Well, Peoria is not growing. I mean, uh, uh, Bloomington is is uh, pretty uh, flat. Uh, Champaign is probably seeing, uh, if anything, they're they're maintaining, uh, maybe seeing uh, moderate growth uh, thanks to uh, the University of Illinois. But it's you're not seeing it because of uh, a lot of new. Uh, businesses coming in uh, into the state and locating in in Champaign. Did the twenty four seven article uh, and the follow up uh, negative news pieces that have come from various outlets uh, have they uh, surprised you at all? Um, I'm not sure if I exactly understand the the question. Did are you talking about when it first came out several years ago? Yeah, when it first came out, well, we, we made the list back to back uh, as being one of the worst cities in America for blacks. And then we also, within the last six months or so, made a list for being one of the fastest shrinking midsize cities in America. Did any of those uh, 
um, news articles catch you off guard? Um, yeah, I mean, the 24 seven, uh, did, uh, that generated a lot of discussion within the community. It's, it's interesting to note that, you know, we, to this day, we, we still have not been able to, uh, totally understand how, how they made that determination and what, uh, metrics they use to, to determine that. Uh, but, but, you know, the city has done a lot of work in that regard. We've put a lot of focus in on it. And I think, I think uh, in the long run, uh, you know, we'll be better for it. Uh, it did surprise me when the article came out. Uh, the one of the fastest growing or the fastest uh, losing population communities in the, in the country. Um, I think I think I missed that one. So you have to send that one over to me. Sure thing. Thank you. I, I'm going to pivot over now a little bit to some of the, the questions that we've had come in uh, on the Facebook Live since we've been talking here. And I'm going to start to go through a couple of those. And then if, if DeMarcus wants to join in with a, a few after my first couple, I'm, I'm going to start with one that, uh, that Sherry Cannon dropped in there. And she notes that, and I'm, I'm reading it, the wrap on City of Peoria is when you go to City Hall, you're asked, what do you want? But in East Peoria or Peoria Heights, you're asked, how can I help you? Uh, what do you have to say about that perception of the city and, and some of its its either business friendliness or, or consumer friendliness to people coming in looking for assistance from the city? Yeah, I think that's one of the things that we are we're constantly uh, battling, and whether uh, it's reality or or perception, uh, it's it de it depends on on who's you know making the comment. Uh, we certainly hear a lot more about people that. Uh, would claim that the uh, the community is uh, really hard to do business in, uh, but I can tell you that uh, on a regular uh, and reoccurring basis, we have uh, a lot of feedback from people that uh, come into the community to do business or uh, people that are, are working in, in different areas that uh, really appreciate uh, the, um, the city's input, the city's help. Uh, proactive way that that uh, some of our inspectors and in the one-stop shop and so on uh, that we've put in place uh, makes makes the, uh, the process smoother. So uh, you're never going to be perfect at that. I, I certainly think that we have uh, a lot of room for improvement on that too. But I but I also think that a lot of times uh, people hear the, uh, the the negative occasions of of people that had bad experiences versus. Uh, the people that that uh, work with the um, work with the different departments in the city and have good experience. Okay. Uh, Karen Wilson asks, "How can we get passenger rail service in Peoria?" <laughs> yeah, that's that's one uh, boy. I tell you what, if if you if you talked about one of the things that we really uh, worked hard on that I really wanted to try to accomplish uh, from the mayor's seat, that was that was one, and we spent a lot of time. Uh, working with our, our uh, congressional delegation, uh, you know, uh, uh, most of the funding uh, that, that comes to, to Am Amtrak and communities that have uh, passenger rail is federally subsidized. So it's, uh, it's really, really hard to get, to get that money. Uh, it went, at one point in time, it was, the figure was about a million dollars a mile uh, for, to get, you know, the land acquisition and the engineering and, and the actual uh, capital investment to put rail in to get uh, service uh, to Chicago. So 
uh, at the end of the day, I think it came down to a combination of uh, not because we didn't, uh, you know, want it. Uh, it was because uh, there, there was no money for it. Uh, and what we uh, what kind of like what we uh, fell back and, and tried as the plan B was to uh, get passenger rail from Peoria uh, to Bloomington. So at least we could tie into high speed uh, from Chicago to St. Louis. Uh, and again, uh, it was it was a real challenge on the funding uh, and uh, Department of, of Transportation was uh, skeptical on whether or not uh, there would be the right volume of passengers to uh, to make it work financially. So it's it's like so many other things. I, I think at the end of the day, it was a money issue. I think if I think if we had the, the money and the resources to get uh to get the the line in in shape and to get us passenger rail i think uh the, the feds would have probably helped us but uh starting from from ground zero with without the money and and without a proven uh population that was going to utilize uh passenger rail it was just it was really tough the communities that have it right now especially you know where it's uh, the highest populations are you know along the east coast uh you know, they're those areas that are proven markets and that have had passenger rail for years. Uh, they, they go through a fight every year uh, to get funding from uh, Washington, D.C. to continue to operate. I'll bring in an audience question it comes from Dennis. What should the next mayor do to what should the next mayor do when it comes into investment into the youth of Peoria? So basically, what can the next mayor do for the youth? Well, you know, I really think that the biggest thing that the the mayor and the city council in general can do uh, for youth is to support strong schools. I mean, it, the uh, you know, I, I had a, a very short communication with uh, Dr. Damalon Crot today, and you know, she's she's really drug, uh, juggling a lot of, of obstacles and trying to get kids back in school and protect her teachers and everything else. But uh, at the end of the day, we need to get kids back in school. And uh, I, I've always, since day one, advocated the importance of education uh, for uh, for kids, and I and I still think that that is the um, the best thing that we can do is invest in our kids' education and get quality education uh, for all of our kids. Uh, you, you, you get kids quality education, you keep them in school, and they understand that they have a, a path to a good education and a good job. Uh, they're they're not going to be as likely to uh, make bad decisions and, and get involved in things that lead them down the wrong road. Education, education, education. Uh, the follow-up uh, from, comes from Conrad, and uh, he says, what about getting the millions back from Matthews? Well, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's a situation that uh, is going to be resolved in some way uh, through the court system. And, uh, we, we hope that happens. Oh, Chris, you can shoot. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm scrolling right through here uh, to, to take a look. Um, uh, CC has a, a follow-up on, on your answer on addressing the issues raised in the 24-7 the Wall Street report uh, and, and noting the work that the city has done and, and wants a little bit more specifics in terms of what the city has done to address many of those concerns. You know, we had a, uh, 
um, a compilation of information put together uh, following that and, and even up to uh, most recently that's identified not only uh, some of the action steps that we took at the beginning and some of the groups that got together, but also some of the uh, investments that uh, the, the community has made. Um, I would be glad to uh, facilitate it, it really is. It's two or three pages of, of information of things that people may not realize that have happened and transpired because of the uh, the focus that was was put on the situation that we're in here. Uh, so let let me know the the best way to get uh, get that information to you, and you can get it uh, back out to your uh, the folks that are looking for more specifics. Definitely, and, and we'll be posting the the whole podcast here on pjstar.com after this, so if, if you can send that along, we'll, we'll make sure that, that we find a way to, to get it out there, and I'm going to hand it over to, uh, to DeMarcus. He's got a, a little bit of a, a lightning round to, to close us out. We figure we'll have a little bit of fun on the, the way out the door here. Okay. Indeed, uh, but real quick, there's a couple things I didn't get to just yet. Uh, what would you say is the biggest culprit that led to Pure's decline in recent years? And the follow-up to that is, with the decline uh, occurring under your watch in the last five or so years, where would you say uh, showed us the blame? Would you say, uh, do, you, do you take part in it? Is, is it the city manager? Is it the council? Are we a victim of circumstance or what? Well, I, uh, I don't know if there's one, uh, I think culprit is what you asked for. Um, I don't think, I don't know that there's a specific uh, culprit that's responsible for it. I, I, I uh, again, uh, think that the challenges that Peoria is seeing, uh, if, if, if it was something that was just in Peoria, uh, and, and no, no other community in Peoria was seen, seeing any type of an issue of, of uh, population loss and, and employment loss and so on. Uh, I, I think we could be more specific in identifying a, a culprit if there is one. Uh, but, but DeMarcus, I, I continue to say the issues that are, that are causing the, uh, the economic problems in Peoria, the employment uh, um, difficulties, uh, the loss in population, it's a statewide issue uh, and it's happening across the state. And, and uh, you know, we're, we're lucky uh, that we have some uh, some of the businesses that we do have here that are that are keeping us uh, strong and providing uh, much stronger opportunities for growth uh, because of the fields that they're involved in, namely health and, and medicine, uh, that, that we uh, are in a much better position than a lot of other communities around the state that don't have what we have. So I, I, uh, I, if, if you want me to say uh, I'll accept uh, blame for uh, some of the things that happen, I'm the mayor, of course. I mean, I, you accept the blame at the same time you accept the, you know, the, the things that, that happened that are good. Uh, that, that's, that's part of the situation. I'm not afraid of saying uh, I'll accept some of that. Do you feel that systemic racism is an issue in Peoria? And what do we need to do to bridge that gap between whites and minorities going forward? You know, I think a lot of the systemic uh, issues are are that, and I think that it, it, that's another thing that our, our whole country is discussing. That uh, it's being discussed again tonight because of uh, decisions that, that came down from Kenosha today, uh, and these these are situations that we admit are there. They're they're issues that that were uh, were not burying our head in the sand, 
we we cr we created the the recent uh, commission along with the uh, the county to address uh, you know systematic racism and other uh, inequalities within our community. Uh, so I, I think we're gonna I think Pure is gonna get there. I think I think that the dialogue is open. Uh, I think that we're acknowledging we need to work in these areas. And, and I think we're doing it in a much better way than, than many, many communities across the uh, state and across the country are doing. So uh, these, these situations didn't arise in the last uh, 16 years since I've been mayor. Uh, they, they have been in our country for decades, uh, actually a lot more than decades, a couple hundred years. And so I, I, um, I do think that we uh, have issues there and I think that we're uh, on the right path to address them as a community. Lightning round, you ready? Go. Okay, so what this is, is uh, a bunch of either or questions. So you got, it's like rapid fire, so it's left or right, either or, or quick answer if it's not a left or right, either or question. We got a couple of them. I'm gonna set the clock to 50 seconds. And hey, the, this, is, this is all fun stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanna set the so clock. I'm saying left or right? No, 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 it's gonna be either ors or quick answer rapid fires. I'm going to set the clock to 50 seconds. I should have timed this thing myself, but I didn't. Um, yeah, because I had to I, see. I, I got you actually right now. Okay, Go. okay. Right, I, I got the. Uh, you got a buzzer on yours? Nah. <laughs> I, I got it. I got it. I got it. Okay. Are you ready? Yep. All right. Boom. Apple or Android? Apple. Old Mall or New Mall? Uh, old Mall. After more than 10 years, why do we still call it the New Mall? <laughs> Uh, habits die hard. Um, bullpen or Coors? Uh, flip a coin. Mercedes or BMW? Uh, I'm. You have I'm, two coins. Yeah, I. <laughs> I don't. I don't drive either. <laughs> are you? Which, are you? Which would I prefer? Yeah. What Mercedes or BMW? Yeah. Probably Mercedes. Okay. Um, NBA or NFL? Uh, NFL. Jim's Steakhouse or Alexander's? Um, Jim's Bistro. University or Knoxville, which one you'd rather drive? Knoxville. Oh, we got to get through the rest of them. I know it's going to go that quick. <laughs> favorite, favorite musical artist? Uh, gosh, I'm so boring. Uh, it used to be Jimmy Buffett. Well, let's go with Jimmy Buffett. I tell you what, say Kenny Chesney. Blue Moon or Budweiser? Blue Moon. Favorite local restaurant? Um, Agatushi's. Uh, Michael Jordan or LeBron? Uh, Michael. New York or LA? Peoria. Avani's or Jimmy John's? Avani's. Uh, red or blue? Red. Math or science? Um, science. Twitter or Facebook? Gosh, I don't do either one of those either. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't have any experience in either. Say Facebook. Favorite movie? Uh, Lonesome Dove. Rumburgers or Heralds? Rumburgers. Favorite basketball player out of Peoria? Uh, well, Sean Livingston with Marcellus right behind. Okay, and what grade would you give yourself as mayor for the 16-year tenure? Oh, uh, I'd like to say uh, C plus. 
that concludes the lightning round. I, I should look next time a minute and a half. I promise you, I'll give you a minute okay. and a half. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. And, and Jim, to, to close it out on a, a little more serious note, you know, when, when we were getting ready for the start of this, you know, we, we were talking and you said you, you weren't really a, a big legacy guy, but I, I do want to give you the chance as we close out here to, to talk a little bit about, you know, three or four things that, that you really look back on as successes or accomplishments as mayor and a couple, three things that, that maybe you regret or might do differently if you had the chance. Yeah. Um, it, it, it really is kind of, I, I, I don't keep like this running uh, chart of, you know, the pluses and, and the minuses. They all kind of, uh, have a tendency to, to level each other out. Um, you know, I think uh, a lot of the things that we've done in the, in the warehouse district have been, you know, very good for our community. Uh, I think that the, uh, the focus that we've, we've placed on uh, healthcare, uh, you know, has, has really uh, been good for us. And that, that's not just since I've been here, that goes back to, you know, 50 years ago when, uh, you know, Dick Carver and another group of, of leaders uh, were successful in getting the uh, College of Medicine built here. Uh, but just think of how big that decision was back then on where we are right now and how positioned we are uh, in the healthcare space. Um, I think that uh, um, I'd have to say, um, believe it or not, the you know, the, the Pierre Marquette was, was something that was really, uh, t really hard. But I think as we go forward and the economy comes back, uh, having a, a quality four-star connected hotel to our civic center is going to, is going to really, uh, be a benefit to us. And, and so, uh, it didn't, it didn't work out exactly like we wanted, but if that, if that had went dark or had turned into a, uh, a super eight or, or something else. I think we'd really be struggling with the heart of our, our downtown. Um, you know, we talked about uh, a little bit about the uh, passenger rail. Uh, I think that's one that we really put a lot of, of effort into that we weren't successful on. Uh, I, I really wish we could have uh, gotten done uh, more in that regard, um, but uh, we didn't. Um, you know, there was some other transportation related uh, initiatives that uh, that never really got a lot going with, uh, you know, would have liked to seen some more um, dredging on the Illinois River and, and getting that uh, the Illinois River uh, in better shape. But again, that's a, a big, big federal money pot that, that wasn't available. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things. Um, I think the uh, kind of going back to one of Marcus's earlier questions about uh, investing in our kids, uh, which are our most valuable resource. And, and they're our future leaders. They're the ones that are going to take our community forward, I think, is is that focus on education. And I think uh, I think Peoria Promise uh, will be one of those those areas that really showed the commitment of our community towards kids uh, into making sure that, that they had and have a, an opportunity to get a good education. Those are just a few. All right. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Jim Artis. Uh, next week, we will be doing our, our second live stream. Uh, we're moving to Wednesday nights starting at 630, so we don't interfere with the city council meeting next week. Uh, next week's guest is going to be Patrick Urich. Chris, you forgot to ask about endorsements. <laughs> I will endorse you guys. This was a great show. 
<laughs> All right. You, you want to make news and, and tell us if you're endorsing anybody for mayor? Well, I don't know if it'll be news or not. I, I've, uh, I've, I've endorsed uh, and will be endorsing uh, Sid Ruckriegel. Um, you know, Sid's, Sid's got the, the time on the council. He's got the business experience. He's got the connections within the community and the, the connections with uh, the city council that we talked about at the beginning of the show. Uh, and I think uh, this is definitely uh, one of those uh, challenges that that experience is going to be everything. Uh, at the time that we're in right now, the challenges that Peoria faces, the challenge that the state faces, uh, it's not a time for on-the-job training. So I look forward to the, I really do look forward to the conversations by all the candidates. A lot of people have, uh, you know, strong, uh, strong uh, things to offer. Uh, some, some have more uh, vision than they do experience, but that's all good to hear. Uh, and at the end of the day, that's, you know, that's what this is all about. It's, it's everybody having an opportunity uh, to uh, talk to our, uh, our fellow citizens in Peoria and, and, help them understand why they think they can be the best leader. And, you know, I'm, I'm one vote. And uh, uh, I, I do think that it's imperative that we have uh, strong leadership, good business experience uh, in, and an understanding of how the city council works. I think, I think it's really important. Uh, this, this wouldn't be the mayor's race to uh, get on the job training for the next five years, four years. You asked for it. You got it. Well, thank you very much. And, and we will be we will be we hope interviewing all of the the candidates on here in, in the coming weeks as well and, and putting them in the hot seat. But we'd still encourage everybody pay attention to all the forums you possibly can get your questions out there for all the candidates. We want this to be a competitive race. We want it to be an informed race and we want people to, to be able to make good decisions for the future of our city. I don't know what the we could you guys could do a little bit of research and find out what the highest percentage of registered voters. But that would be outstanding if uh, if one of the goals for this race was to have the highest percentage of registered voters participate in the process. That would be that would be uh, it would help. It would help the council going in knowing that they were elected by the largest uh, amount of registered voters in the history of, of Peoria voting. That would be very good. Hard to disagree with that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Have a good night.